but never perceiving, as the prophet Isaiah would put it, ever looking, but never beholding. How do they not know? People often ask all of these years later, speaking of those who witnessed Jesus' life but failed to identify him as the Messiah. How could they possibly not know? Well, to answer that, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with those wise men from the east who traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles to honor the newborn king of the Jews. And let's pay close attention to where they first went in search of this child. The text reads, and I quote, They came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? They came from the east to Jerusalem. Here is an enormously consequential detail of the story that is far too often overlooked. The wise men went first to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because it was the capital, obviously. And then once in Jerusalem, they go directly to the palace of King Herod. Why? Because where else would one go in search of the newborn king? Oh sure, we often mark the surprise of the incarnate God being born in a manger in Bethlehem. We do that. But we don't often mark the surprise of where the incarnate God wasn't born. Which is to say in the comfort of a king's palace. In the presence of royalty and honor and dignity. The point here being, anyone can be impressed with a baby born in a mansion. But it takes refined perception to be impressed with a baby born in a manger. How did they not know? People often ask. How could anyone possibly not have recognized who Jesus was? Well, let's move from the very beginning now to the very end. That is, from Jesus' birth to his death. Are you the king of the Jews? Pontius Pilate, the wealthy Roman procurator, asks Jesus his question utterly rhetorical because he knows full well that such a person could never be king of the Jews. Not some unschooled, unlettered nobody like this. Not this Galilean peasant. Are you the king of the Jews? It's a farce. And then let us behold Jesus on the cross a day later, a crown of thorns placed upon his head, and a sign nailed above him that reads, King of the Jews. These words, of course, being purely sarcastic, 
For this man, the sign was saying, was clearly not the king. Which leads us to another part of the story that is far too often overlooked, which is this. Why was it so seemingly clear that this wasn't the king, that this wasn't the Messiah? Here's why. Because such don't die. Certainly they don't die so passively and dishonorably on a Roman cross. Understand, here was a man who claimed to be the Messiah, now being summarily executed by the Roman government and not even putting up a fight in his own defense. Oh, anyone can be impressed by power high and lifted up in a castle. But it takes refined perception to see power high and lifted up on a cross. Yes, from start to finish, the circumstances of Jesus' life argued against his true identity in the court of public perception. And so while the world was created by him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. How could they not know? They just couldn't see him. Today is Epiphany Sunday, a day marked off each year at the end of the Christmas season to celebrate the moment when the Magi beheld the true identity of the baby Jesus. The true identity. Having traveled all that way, having gone to the king's palace first, now they arrived in this lowly place, among these lowly people, and slowly they entered the house. And according to Matthew, quote, on entering the house, they saw the baby with his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. Last week, we concentrated on the second half of this verse for a Christmas message. That is, the part that says, they knelt down and paid him homage. Concentrated on that last week for a Christmas message. Today, we will focus on the first half of this verse for an epiphany message. They entered the house and they saw him. Here, dear family, is the significance and the point of Epiphany Sunday. The Magi didn't just encounter Israel's newborn king. The Magi didn't just encounter Israel's long-awaited Messiah. The Magi didn't just encounter the incarnate God. The Magi recognized him. They entered the house and they saw him. 
ever seeing but never perceiving. The rest of the world was looking right past this common, unassuming child. But these magi, these foreigners from afar, entered the house and they saw him. Likewise, some 30-odd years later, as the rest of those watching Jesus mocked him and jeered, listen to what the Roman centurion, another foreigner from afar, had to say. The text reads, and I quote, Now when the centurion saw the manner of his death, its utter humility, he said, Truly this man is the Son of God. Do you hear it, dear family? Do you see it? Do you see the similarity between these two stories? Epiphany is not just a one-time event. Epiphany is not just a one-time thing. Epiphany is an event that happens anytime our eyes are opened to the reality of Christ right before us. Christ plays in 10,000 places, the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins writes. Meaning the glory of God inheres everywhere. Through Him all things were made, John writes. Without Him not one thing came into being. Christmas is about confessing this as true. Epiphany, meanwhile, is about recognizing it. How do they not know who Jesus was? How do they not recognize him? For the same reasons that we today fail to recognize him. When were you hungry, Lord, and I did not feed you? And when did I see you as a stranger and not take care of you? We too look right past him. Every day. He plays in 10,000 places. Yet we continue to look for him where we assume he'll show up. The comfortable places. The convenient places, the places of esteem. But the gospel teaches us that when the word becomes flesh, the word dwells among us in ways and in places we least expect. The gospel teaches us that he comes to his own, but that his own too often don't even know him. The gospel teaches us that instead, it is often folks like the Magi from the East and that centurion from Rome who in fact behold his glory. And thus the question for us on this Epiphany Sunday is this. 
How might we who claim to be his own be looking right past him today? Just as his own looked right past him then. Where might Christ be playing right this second? If only we'd as Christians have eyes to see. In Willa Cather's novel, Death Comes for the Archbishop, her protagonist, a priest, says, and I quote, Miracles seem to me to rest not so much upon faces or voices or healing power coming to us from far off, but upon our perceptions being made finer, so that for a moment our eyes can see and our ears can hear what is there about us always. Make no mistake, dear family, this is only true to a point. For the grand miracle of Christian faith no doubt deals with healing power coming to us from far off. That is what Christmas is about. But other miracles, everyday miracles, are precisely as Cather's priest describes. These are about our perceptions being made finer so that for a moment our eyes can see and our ears can hear what is there about us always. And that is what epiphany is about. So on this Epiphany Sunday, let us pray for the miracle of refined perception, which is to say, let us pray for eyes that can truly see. For Christ does indeed play in 10,000 places, in mangers and on crosses and in all manner of places in between. He came to his own, John writes, but his own did not know him. But to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. This day Christ is all around us. As God's children, we simply have to look with refined perception and see. Amen. practice in which we are about to participate, as we take this bread, as we drink from this cup, let us see, let us behold, let us understand what it is that we are doing. 
Let us recall that we are remembering the manner of Christ's salvific death. Let us trust that we are rehearsing for the day when we will dwell forevermore in God's coming kingdom. And let us understand that in simple, tangible things like this bread and this cup, we are confessing that Christ plays in 10,000 places. That Christ comes to us daily. If only we have eyes to see. As we participate in communion this morning, dear family, let us have eyes to see. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, dear God, as we prepare to take communion, may we behold you in the bread and in the cup. And may it inspire us to behold you and the world around us as we leave these doors today. What you did for us through your death and resurrection, Lord, we cannot even fathom the mystery. And so into the mystery we wade through the taking of this bread and this cup. We do it in the name of the crucified, risen Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And taking the bread that was before him, he stood from the table. Then praying over it, blessing it, he broke it. And he said, then this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup. And lifting the cup, he said, this cup represents the new covenant, which is made possible by my death. Drink this, all of you in remembrance of me.